This is Dan Wilson Uncancelled. Let's go. Time now for What the Farage with the country's most famous, Nigel. And Marine Le Pen is again the top challenger for the French presidency and is seriously threatening to unseat Macron five years after he trounced her. That's because Le Pen has softened on some policies since that 2017 election with her party, the National Rally, dropping its proposal to leave the EU, the free movement zone and the euro. Le Pen remains a Eurosceptic, though. She plans to reduce France's EU contributions and promote a coalition with like-minded nations, including Hungary and Poland, as well as introducing policies that contradict the EU's free movement principles. So, Nigel, you know, are we potentially facing the Brexit moment, the Trump moment for France? And if uh, Le Pen did pull off what would be uh, a spectacular and shocking victory... Uh, do you think it would be Frexit in all but name? Well, I have to say that I've known Marine for a very long time. Uh, she has detoxified the party in a remarkable way. Not just about the euro, because that, I mean that's the problem with Frexit, isn't it? The problem with Frexit is how do you leave the currency and re-establish the franc, and that scares the life out of people. Yeah, uh, you know that gives the other side a negative story that actually resonates with ordinary folk, but. Her father's party was apologetic for, for Pétain, for uh, so many things that happened, including deportation of Jews in World War II. I mean, it was a very, very ugly, ugly history that Jean-Marie Le Pen apologised for. She changed the name of the party. She got rid of her father. She kicked out the real extremist nut jobs, the anti-Semites. Uh, and to her credit, she's done that incredibly well. Now, can she win? Well, let's put it like this. This will all come down to one thing and one thing only. It'll come down to the head-to-head -head debate on the 20th of April. Back in 17, I thought she was going to get 42, 43% of the vote in that runoff. Her performance was so abysmal in that debate because Macron psyched her out brilliantly. He said, if she's too aggressive, I'll walk off the stage. She took it as an invitation. She came out throwing everything she had in the first few minutes. She frankly looked ridiculous. She had no good answers to any of the economic questions. This time around, what she's trying to do is to be a left-wing Margaret Thatcher. What do I mean by that? Maggie got elected by explaining inflation and the economy to people in terms of the weekly shopping basket. It was language that ordinary folk mm. understood. And Marine is talking to people about the cost of living and pointing out that the Rothschild globalist, uh, supported by you know all the big multinationals, Macron has no connection with this at all. Now, can she win that debate? One thing very interesting is happening. Macron was a creation. He arrived in 2017, the, the big money, the big business recognised that the old Socialist Party, the old Conservative Party were finished. I mean, isn't it amazing? They got less than 10% down in the election on Sunday. Mm. It's crazy. But he literally came from nowhere to power. He's never been under pressure politically ever. And now he started snapping. There are videos of him virtually shouting at members of the public because they don't agree with him. So it's Macron that's now looking ratty. If she can rise above, if she can rise above Macron in that debate, 
That debate is four days before the election. And remember, France is not corrupted by mail-out ballots, postal voting. In America, when Trump won the second debate, and his first debate, by the way, wasn't very good against Biden, but I think he had COVID, to be honest. When he, when he won the second debate, hands down, 100 million Americans had already voted. It was too late. In France, if you want to vote, do you know what happens? You have to go to a polling station. They give you a pencil and a piece of paper. And in the privacy it's of the polling school, you mark. A, and, and so it's all on the day. If she wins that debate, she will win the election. Nigel, what's she like as a person? She, I, I mean, it's not been the easiest childhood and early adulthood. Uh, you know, growing up under the shadow of her father, uh, the house being uh, subject to a terrorist bomb attack. It's not been easy. Uh, she, I have to say this, Dan, she sought refuge from much of the pressure in adopting a lifestyle that was deeply unhealthy, if I can put it like that, even worse than mine. Um, <laughs> and that's and saying something. When I knew her in the early days, there was no doubt that alcohol, yeah. um, huge numbers of cigarettes, terrible lifestyle was the, yeah, the sort of the way, the distraction, the way of getting away. And I mean, there were times back in 2012, 13, 14, she looked dreadful. And you can see today that actually she's cleaned her act up uh, and she looks a lot happier, mm -hmm. a lot, lot happier within herself as a person. She's grown in confidence. I mean, what Maureen is good at, she's good at speaking about the concerns of ordinary French people about the massive demographic transformation that is taking part in, place in France, about the fact that there are the banlieue, the suburbs of Paris and Marseille and elsewhere that are now unrecognizable. Her weak point was economics. Now she's now, and by the way, the BBC keep calling her far right. Mm. Her economics are actually quite hard left. They're, I mean, look, to me, a statist that thinks people should all retire at 60, I don't think it works in the medium to long term economically, but it might be appealing to the French people. And she would be a nightmare for Brussels. Now, it, it was once said, Liberation once said, Nigel Farage is Brussels' worst nightmare <laughs> because he wants to leave the EU. Marine Le Pen could be Brussels' worst nightmare because she now wants to stay. She wants to stay and disobey all the rules. Yeah. So, you know, it, it, I mean, and ultimately, ultimately, this is the globalist Macron against the Eurosceptic, yeah. patriotic, nationalist Marine Le Pen. At the end of the day, that is the choice that the French people face. She has to prove that she's able to look like a leader. She has to prove she's got the intelligence to outwit the increasingly ratty Macron. Right at the moment, if I were a betting man, I would say Macron will win this by four points, five points. But I re-emphasize the point. What happens on that night of the 20th of April will decide all of it. Nigel, it's fascinating to see the young people flocking to her, right, though. They, they want selfies with her. She's, she's certainly tapped in to the youth of France who are so disaffected with Macron. There's an optimism about her message too, you know. 
This isn't just everything's dreadful. This is we are La France. We can be better than this. And I think a lot of young people look at the corruption of French politics. And I mean, just think of it, you know, the numbers of French politicians that have been caught up in all sorts of scandals over the years. I mean, it, it dwarfs even the current Conservative Party, but that's saying something, <laughs> isn't it? Um, and, and she's kind of got this mood that we want better, that we have a national identity, that we can be something, and that we're losing it. And, 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 and so much of France uh, that you go to now is an unhappy place. It reminds me of my childhood in the 1970s in the UK, where we were going through, you know, our, our, our perhaps lowest point of national self-confidence. Um, and so she's offering something optimistic to these young people. Um, and and I, I have to say, I have to say, she's done a very, very good job in taking the old Front National, turning it into the national rally, getting rid of the extremists. And, and I, I have to admit, Whilst we wouldn't agree, and we don't agree on economics or NATO or many things, I do have quite a high sneaking regard for the way she's handled herself in the last few years. Well, absolutely fascinating insight into Marine Le Pen from a man who knows her well, Nigel Farage. It's going to be a really interesting two weeks. Thank you so much. <laughs> breaking tonight. In a small but important victory for freedom fighters, the cruel Chinese government has been forced to row back on its barbaric zero-COVID policy. Shanghai is the desolate epicentre of China's regressive strategy, where 26 million residents have been locked down for two weeks fighting to feed their families as food supplies run low. Following a furious nationwide uprising with hungry and liberty-starved residents taking to the streets to demand food and freedom, the government today allowed an unknown number of people living in areas with no cases to leave their homes. I mean, it's not a lot, but the small mercy is a direct result of courageous Chinese citizens demanding enough is enough and railing against the draconian and actually quite revolting communist regime. Just five minutes ago, there were only a few people screaming. Now suddenly everyone's screaming. If this persists, bad things will happen. <laughs> Explain to me, the supermarket's closed. What do I buy? What do I eat? What do I drink? You are driving people to death. Carol Sakura, my heart breaks uh, for these poor Chinese souls. But doesn't what's going on in Shanghai just expose the true hell of this insane zero COVID policy? It is, and it won't do any good. <clears throat> That's the real problem. You know, I've been to Shanghai. It's a beautiful city. It's really come. I went there 30 years ago. I went back about two years ago. It is fantastic. But it's just so sad to see the destruction going on now with this. It's a military police state. There's no doubt total control. And if the government decide to implement total control, they can do so in a way that we would find it difficult here. But now the people are beginning to break through. They're saying enough is enough. And with the variants of COVID out there, the BA1, BA2, BA3, it's not possible to contain it like the, the first variant that came into being. It's just not going to work. And, you know, they're badly advised. And that's the whole problem with this. It becomes a, it's exactly as now 
another lockdown in the UK? Of course not. It won't happen. But there are people calling for it even now. It, it is ridiculous to watch those scenes, but so glad that they're not happening in London, for example. Well, indeed, because, Carol, I think we should never forget that there were people in power here advocating for a zero COVID policy. Those crazy people on uh, what's known as Independent Sage, uh, Devi Schroeder, who advises Nicola Sturgeon. I mean, Nicola Sturgeon at one point in 2020 was claiming that Scotland uh, had zero COVID, not to mention uh, world leaders like Jacinda Ardern. So I feel totally terrible for the people in China, but I hope this wakes the world up to what a zero COVID policy really means. I mean, I didn't include the clips of it, Carol, but literally they have authorities in China that are going around clubbing people's pets to death, thus separating children from parents in hazmat suits and locking them up in quarantine facilities with no proper toiletry. I mean, it's like a, it's like a dystopian horror movie. It really is. And it is completely crazy. It has no scientific base whatsoever. And it's frightening to see if you give a sort of people <coughs> that are bureaucrats and authorities power, they'll use that power, as you can see in the, in the film now. It's ridiculous to watch. And I, we've got to come out of it. And we are coming out of it. And we've just got to learn to live with it. And, you know, Boris, for all his faults at the moment, he's right. We can't go into another lockdown. We've just got to carry on. Now we're going to hear voices from the NHS Confederation, all sorts of people that, you know, if, if the NHS gets overwhelmed, we've got to do something. But it's not overwhelmed. We're coping. So let's just get on with life and forget about it. Take the masks off and go into the brave new world, forgetting about COVID. I couldn't agree more. Carol Sakura, perfect note to end it on. Our positive professor, Carol, will speak again next week. Breaking tonight, a senior U.S. defense official has said that the United States cannot confirm the use of chemical agents in Ukraine's port city of Mariupol. Ukraine Deputy Defense Minister Hanna Malyar made the comments following reports yesterday that Russia had dropped an unknown poisonous substance on the city, leading to some of the defenders suffering from breathing issues. Now, experts have expressed skepticism that the available evidence points towards a chemical weapons attack, with Elliot Higgins, the founder of the Balinkat Investigative Journalism Agency, saying the symptoms described and witness accounts are inconsistent with any nerve agent I'm familiar with, with no reports of pupil constriction or dilation convulsions. But if fears are founded, the UK has already set out its hardline response, with Armed Forces Minister James Heapy saying this. All options are on the table and there's a value in being ambiguous because I don't think what you want to do is to say to Vladimir Putin that the consequence of using nuclear weapons is exactly this. And so therefore he gets to make a judgment about whether or not it's worth using them. Meanwhile, Foreign Secretary Liz Truss tweeted that they are working to verify the attack, but any use of such weapons would be a callous escalation in this conflict and we will hold Putin and his regime to account. Well, the West will have to carefully measure its response and be certain about these claims. Russia has recently expressed nervousness about the United States and NATO's influence in Eastern Europe and America's so-called so quest 
for world domination. So Constantine Kisson has been looking into all of this closely. Constantine, I know we don't have confirmation of the use of chemical weapons, but if it does emerge that they have been used, how do you think we should respond? Well, Dan, before we get into that, we should perhaps inform our viewers and listeners where this claim is coming from. It's not only yes. uh, not confirmed. The reason that there was some suggestion this may have happened is not only that people were experiencing some sort of symptoms, but actually a an official with one of these breakaway republics um, in the east of Ukraine, which is very close to the city of Mariupol, actually said that these Ukrainian defenders were holed up in a steel plant, which has lots of basement levels, is very well reinforced, full of concrete, etc. And he said, perhaps we should just leave them to the chemical team. That's where the concern came from. But as you say, there's so far no real evidence that this has happened. Now, as to your question, if it turns out that Russia does eventually or has used chemical weapons, what should the West do? My own view is I don't understand what difference that makes, if I'm honest with you, because the people, if you look at the city of Mariupol, for example, it's a city the size of Manchester, population of Manchester, where 90% of the buildings have now been destroyed by Russian bombardment. It looks nothing like the city that it used to be. Uh, we have heartbreak and we have reports that possibly uh, all my sources in Ukraine are telling me that there's possibly tens of thousands of civilians who have died in the city uh, because of the Russian attacks. Uh, we have reports now of mass rapes happening in Ukraine. Uh, I just listened before I came on air to an intercepted phone call between a Russian soldier and his wife in Russia in which he she encourages him to rape Ukrainian women who says just use protection. So this is what's happening in Ukraine. Now, are we saying that being killed by a chemical weapon is somehow more bad than being killed by Russian bombardment or starved to death in Mariupol? I don't personally think so. I think what we should be doing is whatever it is we think is the right thing to do, we should be doing it now to prevent further loss of life. Because then what Russia has done, having pulled back its forces from Kiev, Chernigov and other cities in the center and in the north, is moved a lot of forces to the east. And the battle that is about to happen in the east of Ukraine is going to be massive. There's going to be huge casualties among both the military and civilian populations. So if we want to prevent people from dying, if we want to prevent, to prevent suffering, I don't really see how chemical weapons matter in this situation. If we want to do more to stop uh, the Russian advance from taking more lives, then we should be acting now. And if we don't care about that, then we shouldn't. Constantine, you're obviously uh, of Russian heritage. You've looked mm. closely over the years about the government messaging. So I believe you thought it was quite significant, uh, this change of language over the past few days in relation to the US and NATO. Can you analyse for us what's going on there? Yeah, well, Dan, I'm afraid every time I come on your show and you kind of have, have me on regularly, I have to come on and criticise the media because instead of focusing no, do on it. things... That do, it. Yeah, do it, do it. They it's have important. To, they, they focus on things that don't matter. And, and instead, what they've ignored is, for example, only yesterday, Sergei Lavrov, the Russian foreign minister, said that actually the reason Russia invaded is to end US, the US's quest for world domination, which is a point I've been making for some time now. This isn't about the things that Vladimir Putin claimed the invasion was about. This is about pushing NATO out of Eastern Europe. And he said this consistently from the moment he became president. He wants the US and NATO out of Eastern Europe. That means the Czech Republic, that means Hungary, that means Latvia, Estonia, Lithuania, Poland, all of these countries which are now in NATO are potentially at risk because he wants to denatify them. So we've got to understand what this is about. This isn't just about Ukraine, as I said, on the day the invasion happened. This is something that's going to affect 
the lives of every Eastern European, which is why you see, Dan, that every country other than Britain in Europe that has taken a strong stand on this issue is the Eastern European countries. It is the Latvia, the Lithuania, the Estonia, it is Poland, it is Slovakia. All of these countries realize they're next on the firing line. And I think it's time for people in Western Europe to start to wake up and realize that's what this is all about. Very powerful message, Constantine. Thank you so much. And of course, you can always criticise the media on this show. And it's very much uh, worth subscribing to your Trigonometry podcast to get many more of your insights. Constantine Kissin will speak very soon. Thank you so much. Dan Wooden here again. Thank you so much for listening to this edition of my podcast, Uncancelled. Did you like what you hear? Well, remember to subscribe, rate and review and join me for more newsmaking interviews, fiery debate and free speech on Dan Wooden tonight every Monday to Thursday from 9pm till 11pm on GB News.